Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome into the Bears Illustrated Podcast. Garrett Ross, Perday Malapati here with you. And it's been a big weekend. How was how was everything with you and up in New York, man? How was your weekend? It was good. It was pretty chill. Um, went to a or watched a church service. It's about it. Didn't do too much since I, I'm not with my family. Yeah. What about you? Nah, we just kind of hung around the house. The little man got sick, so we just held it down at the fort and did our thing, which kind of you know, allowed me to sit around the house and watch sports. So I really wasn't too bad. You know? <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> what would you watch? NBA? Dude, I watched a little bit of everything. I watched NBA. Uh, I watched some NHL. I watched some of the okay. Rangers games because I have to talk about the Rangers. And then um, some USFL. I-, I threw in some USFL action. What about you? Uh, I didn't watch too much sports this weekend, honestly. I did watch a little bit of the NBA playoffs, though. Fair enough. Who? You, man, I, all right, we're gonna put it out here right now. I got the Suns. I, th- I had the Suns last year. Who you got? Really? Yeah. I have the Warriors. The Warriors, really? Yeah. Interesting. I think man. that if Steph gets healthy, then they're, they're the best team. That's always a good option to have Steph rolling. You can't go wrong with Steph rolling. Well, uh, that's a good transition. So let's stick with basketball here. Um, I think the news come down. What was it? Friday, Thursday. Uh, Baylor gets the commit little the the kid from Finland, the guard. I honestly wasn't too familiar with this cat. What, what, I know you're pretty excited about this. What, what can you tell me about him? Yeah, he's a, he's a point guard. He's like a six, four point guard, which is a, a good type of player to have. And Baylor doesn't have any really highly rated point guards right now. or coming in in that class. This is Baylor's first commit for 2023. So I think that's huge. Just getting a point guard, um, because it's, it's important to have someone that can handle the ball and guards win in college basketball. And it also obviously improves Baylor's international presence. Baylor's had a lot of international players through the recent years. You can talk about guys like Nuni Omat, JTT right now, uh, Manu, Manu Lacan, even Devante Van Dues from Canada. But now they're start, like Baylor's starting to get these blue-chip international players, which both increases the or it, it makes the brand bigger internationally, and it also obviously helps the team succeed more on the court. See, that was the cool thing for me. Like when when the news come out from Jeremy Sohan saying, you know, I'm I'm going to the NBA draft, which I think that was kind of we all anticipated that. It was kind of shocking for me to see it took so long for him. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's cool to see you're losing one international star. And within like 24 hours, you're gaining another one. It's crazy. Like I knew, because I remember when Drew came in and built this program and just seeing the evolution of the recruiting has been absolutely insane. And to watch what they've been able to do. So I've known like with their success and then obviously winning the national championship, it was really going to amp up recruiting for him. But I never really thought about it 
from an international perspective. I mean, even going back, to, you know, when things started, he had Mamadou Dien was one of the, the cornerstone pieces. So he's always been able to go over there. But you think this is something where we're going to see, especially if he if little comes and balls out. I mean, do you expect to see more and more of these international dudes coming to, to Waco? Yeah, I do. I think it'll be a consistent thing for Baylor moving forward. Um, we saw how Scott Drew developed Jeremy Sohan into a lottery pick, and he was he was a highly rated prospect. He was a four-star, but he wasn't expected to be anywhere near a top-ten pick, and he might be that now. Um, and he's also developed a lot of other international players who were rated lower, but he turned them into important contributors on the team. And if he does the same thing with Mira Little and ends up turning him into a, a nice first-round pick, then I think that'll make a lot of noise around around the globe. People will see that Scott Drew's good at developing underrated players, or not even underrated players, just players who maybe aren't rated as highly as they should be. And sometimes international players aren't rated as highly as they should be just because, uh, I guess, scouts and stuff don't see them that much. Which is, you know, that's so bizarre to me. I, I would rather take a kid that played international than a kid who's played high school basketball in America at just like an a you know just some ordinary school. I'm not saying IMG Academy or you know one of the the big schools like that Sierra Canyon or whatever that is out there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm talking about just in general, and I, I don't know. I just feel like it, it's it's crazy because those guys over there, like look at Luca. I mean, he's been playing yeah. professional basketball since he was like 14. You know, mm-hmm. and I think you see. So for me, I think that I would put more of an emphasis on rating those guys or or making the the ratings a little more accurate with what we're seeing stateside, in my opinion. I think a lot of it just comes down to not having as much time to watch those international players and not having as much scouting on them because it's obviously easier to watch players who are playing in high school in America than it is to watch guys who are playing in academies in Europe. But honestly... I like the fact that you brought up Luka Doncic because even though he obviously didn't play in college, I think maybe now that Baylor is having all the success with highly rated um, international players, and if Scott Drew does the same thing with Mira Little and shows that he develops strong international players, then maybe we'll see a couple guys, instead of playing a year in Europe in one of the leagues and then going to the NBA, maybe we'll see Baylor pick up a couple of those guys, which would be huge for winning more games and staying atop of college basketball. I think I think that would be an intriguing aspect. Like you would have to find a guy who uh, I, I don't know. I feel like you would have to find a guy who would want to come and get developed. But as I'm saying that, I just stopped, spoke about how well they're developed over there. So I, I don't know if you would see that. I, I think it would be interesting. Um, but my concern yeah, with well, the, Go ahead. I think I agree with you there. I think the the big thing though is that players who play at college seem to get rated higher just like just like players in high school seem to get rated higher in the NBA draft than players in Europe like Luka Doncic played in a Spanish league he destroyed all these these big these grown men yeah and he was he probably should have been number one overall pick but he wasn't I think part of that's because he played internationally which is just so crazy to me because when you look at the league in general, while there are a lot of you know great, obviously it's, there's a lot of great players in it across the board from America, but it seems like a lot of your stars now are international players, you know, and it's 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 crazy. It just seems like it's, people would realize that, and you would start seeing it counterbalance, you know, like everybody would be viewed across the board. 
the same. Like you have to acknowledge that at some point, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's just difficult to know who's going to turn into a star and who's not. Like, there's also European guys who end up being busts. So. Oh, absolutely. There's always a bust. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think, yeah, I mean, we'll see moving forward if maybe international players start getting the same clout as college stars. My and my concern right here, and, and I was worried about this a couple of years ago with, with kind of the trajectory where Baylor was going with this program, is – how do you balance keeping what what has made Scott Drew and Baylor successful by building, developing, and counter that with the one-and-done, right? Like, he's never really had to deal with one-and-done players on a consistent basis, and that's something he's really going to have. I mean, now that's what we're going to see, you know? Um, I, I don't like it. I, I think it brought down programs like Duke and Kentucky. Obviously, they had, you know, Duke had a great run this year, but – I felt like you were starting to see more teams like Baylor did was a prime example of it, right? Like get old, stay old and you can win a lot of championships. And it, now it's like, he's going to have to flip that mantra in a, in a, in a way because of the, the caliber of player that's coming in on a consistent basis. Yeah. If you look at the teams who won national championships recently, you have Kansas who has some very talented guys, but they, they've been there for a couple of years Obviously, Baylor, Virginia, these teams are old teams. They're teams that have built chemistry together over years. So I think that maybe Scott Drew will test out this one-and-done theory, and then if it ends up not working and turning into more championships, then maybe he'll go back to the old model, just use players who are highly rated than he was getting before, maybe some some four-stars, um, try to keep them for a couple of years and see what happens. I think one of the good thing that's kind of helped counter that with, with him over the past couple of years. Now this is going to be interesting to see if, if he can continue it, but I think what's kind of helped, like if you look at this Baylor team this year, right, you had obviously Sohan and Kendall Brown, dynamic freshman. You would have had Langston Love. We, we know all of that, but the ones mm-hmm. who actually played. So you had Sohan and Kendall Brown were dynamic freshmen, but you had older pieces around him. And, and I think that he's done a good job of utilizing the transfer portal to kind of counter Absolutely. that. So, like, once he leaves, but my thing is, and, and I think that's really what's helped them not be a Duke or, or what I was talking about before. But if that comes to a halt, that's the thing. But, and, you know, looking at this roster right now, uh, you got Keontae George coming in, right? And we know more than likely Flagler, and then we're going to be back. Flo's already said he's coming back. I guess it's a matter of time now on hearing something from um, Matthew, Meyer. Matthew Meyer. I mean, he was the one all yeah. adamant about going to the draft, and now maybe he's been waiting for Sohan, and now that Sohan's gone, maybe he'll come back because he kind of has that that four spot to himself. Like, there's no other big big guard type players on the team. He might end up having a big role next year if he comes back. That's the thing, but you know. It, and I think he would benefit. I think he would truly benefit for coming back. But in your mind, like you've already you've already done that once, you know, like this was supposed to be the comeback swan song, right? And it just yeah. didn't pan out. Does that make you apprehensive if you're Meyer of of running the risk of doing that again? Because a well, lot of it to me was what, chemistry. What does he have? What does he have to lose at this point? Like, that's, if he goes to the draft, the he's probably at best second round pick. And if he gets one more chance to come back to Baylor, develop another year under Scott Drew, and maybe do something special this year, which 
obviously he could have done last year, but he didn't. But I don't know. My my thing is just what does he have to lose at this point? He really doesn't have to lose anything. That's a good point. And to me, like all of last year, when you look at that whole situation, it was really a matter of he was like a, a square peg and trying to go through a round hole or something. You know, it just never worked. It never clicked. It's a good analogy. I I agree with that. It, it, I mean, it wasn't happening, you know. But yeah. if if this year he was to return, that chemistry's already been established because you're going to have the bulk of your guys back that you were playing with. So maybe, you know, it, it could turn into that opportunity to where you're an established leader, you can take over, y'all can make a deep run, and you're already familiar with the chemistry around you. Well, actually, chemistry might be kind of a problem now that you have Keontae George coming in, Dylan Hunter coming in, Langston Love, who he hasn't played with, coming off the injury. Um, so he might have to rebuild that chemistry with these new guys. Um, the other thing that I would point out is that maybe James Akinjo coming in as a grad transfer last year wasn't the best thing for Matthew Meyer individually since Akinjo had the ball a lot in his hands and they obviously since he was a first year player had to build that chemistry throughout the season um maybe now if there's a point guard who isn't as ball dominant Matthew Meyer will play better just a guess I mean could I I could definitely see that I just because he was good on the defensive end of the floor. He was, he was that, was, that was, the, that was the, the deceiving thing about it. Because I know I caught myself a lot of the time just like, bro, you've got to step up and do something. But if you go yeah. back, and that was just because we, we're so focused on the offensive end. That's what really gets the glory, right? But when mm-hmm. you went back and look at the numbers, you, you bring up a good point. And I think that's what the Baylor staff was seeing was regardless of what he's doing on the scoreboard, it's it's the intangibles. It, it's, it wasn't Mark Vidal-esque by any means, but mm-hmm. he was picking up some of the, the, the slack that was left behind from Vidal's, you know, not being there. Oh, yeah, they'll definitely welcome him back if he wants to come back. It's just his decision at this point. But if he doesn't come back, then there's a big hole there. There's already a hole at the point guard spot this year. Um, and there will be another hole at that four spot because there's no one really – who can play the four right now. There's two centers in Thamba and JTT. And then you have guys who are like six, 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 seven, Jordan Turner's only six, six. Um, they're chasing Jalen Bridges from West Virginia right now. A name I, I want to throw out is Moni Bates. Cause he recently announced yes. that he's going to enter the transfer portal from Memphis and Baylor was, was one of his top eight choices last year. I could so be denied. Be I, I could, I could have swore. I need to go back and look. I thought it's. I saw something earlier about him went to, went going to uh to oh some small school. Mm, where did that kid from um St. Peter's transfer to? That started with a B. Oh. Anyway, I could have swore I saw Bates went there. I'm gonna check like on that. That he, he already committed. I need to check on that. But that is that he I would be a that. great addition to have. Yeah, he's definitely someone I think Baylor should chase. It. And that's going to be interesting to see because you know they're definitely going to hit hit some people in the portal and bring on this roster. But we'll see how that plays out. But man, we mentioned it earlier. The, the USFL got started. You had a couple of Baylor players in action. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the league. Let's get our overall thoughts. Up coming up next here on the Bears Illustrated podcast. Welcome 
Welcome back into the Bears Illustrated Podcast. Garrett Pernay here with you. And man, I, look, I know football, it, it really drives America as far as sports go right now. And I'm all for the USFL. I'm all for these these te- these other leagues coming in. But at the same time, I, I feel like for them to be successful, you got to have really good quarterback play in I was watching some of those games over the weekend, and that was one of the big areas of concern for me. Um, There was a lot of guys scrambling and just making bad throws. But at the same time, this is, you know, a new league. It's it's week one. How much of that is just, you know, dust that's going to wear off? Uh, But I think it's interesting to see the USFL come back. And it's cool to see players that, you know, you've – like from Baylor, you had – uh, Jamison Houston out there, and you had Orion Stewart out there from Michigan. It was cool to see those guys get some action. But what are, did you have at any chance to watch any of the USFL at all? No, I wasn't able to watch the USFL this weekend. But it would certainly be cool if a second football league pops up, um, because obviously football is the big sport in America, and I love watching football. So it'd be cool to have a nice product um, to watch during the NFL off season. For like when you're saying the quarterback play wasn't great, was it just they were they seemed rusty, or was it they were just actually not? It was it was a, it was like a combo, right? Like you know, like okay, for instance, one of the quarterbacks was Shea uh, Shea Patterson. Uh-huh. We know what you're getting with Shea Patterson. It, it's it's average at best, and that's just yeah. essentially what it was with a lot of the quarterback play. There was probably about I would say three or four guys across the whole league that you could see, maybe they can make a roster. Uh, but for me, it's it's one of those things where it's an opportunity, you know, for guys to have a, a chance to fight back and, and play. But I think it needs to be used in a manner of a developmental process. Like if you look at the NBA, right? Like you have the G League. When you look at MLB, yeah. you have, you know, triple A, you know, double A farm systems everywhere. The NFL doesn't have that, right? Like, like if guys yeah. don't make the league, you essentially got to go to Canada. It's a little different. And I think that they only take a certain amount of American barn players. Cause it's mostly, you know, they want Canadians up there playing in this Canadian gotcha. football league. And so you have that, which is, that's why you don't see so many people go up there. It's just a handful and then you have like arena leagues, but that's not really going to yeah. help you. And the XFL is going to come back. Uh, I believe it's like 2023. But at the same time, like, I, I feel like you need to combine the two, right? And you need to have create a general league where every team, like say the Houston Gamblers are the Houston Texans, you know, branch team, like their farm league. I think that would be a good way to keep more of these players involved and give another opportunities. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's probably the best way to go at the end of the day is to create something like a minor league system where players develop and are able to get gain experience and then eventually have an opportunity to go to the NFL. Because as I was saying, that it'd be cool to have another professional football league. The other side is that the, the level of play is such a step below the NFL that there's a question as to how many fans are going to want to watch it. Cause you're watching the NFL and it's the best players in America. And there's so many of them since the rosters are massive that 
when you take that step down to something like the USFL or the XFL, the quality of play is just so much lower. And some would argue it's lower than college football, which I'm not sure, but it's the, the, I mean, you can make that argument just because in college you have all these very talented guys who are going to end up being NFL stars and you're, you don't even have that in these kind of leagues. You don't, but I think that also you could make it to where like every team has a practice squad, right? Like, you could take those practice squad players and plug them into these leagues. And that already, you know, makes it better. The transfer portal is overloaded with guys right now who we don't know how many of them are ever going to have an opportunity, especially if you hit the portal like two years ago and you're still trying to find a home or something like Mm -hmm. there's got to be a place to go. You're eventually going to lose your eligibility and you might not have an opportunity. So where do you go? I feel like that's a good way and that's going to be a there. That's some talented players. I mean, there's. A, I feel like there's a way to make it work. Yeah, like they're, they're fairly talented. No, that's why I like the minor league idea. Because at that point, you have fans of these NFL teams who are like, "Oh, let's see who's on these minor league teams and who could potentially play for our NFL team," and that would bring more, m- much more attention and a lot more viewers. And so, and what I was thinking about this was, you know, it made me think of Baylor's pro day, and. Obviously, Jalen Petrie lit it up. I mean, everybody's talking about Jalen Petrie. We know Kalen's going to get a chance. We know Taquan Thornton's going to get a chance. Um, but when you look at the other, some of the other guys that were out there, Drew Estrada, he's probably going to struggle. You know, to find uh, it's it's difficult for any for a lot of guys to go play Ivy League football and then play somewhere else and then make it to the league. There's only a handful of guys who have, have taken that route, you know, and been successful with it. Um, John Carlo Valentin's another one, you know, we've talked about, he was one, another one of those transfer portal guys that I never really felt like he lived up to the expectations when, when Matt rule and them brought him over. Um, I feel like he's another one of those guys who could end up, you know, within, I don't know if it necessarily would be after the draft. Like, do you, do you, what the whole process is, how long it takes you to go and try out for teams and get an opportunity. But, I feel like he's a guy that we could see end up in the USFL and a a surprise one. And I I hope I'm wrong on this, but John Lovett, right? Like he was at Baylor's Mm -hmm. pro day, even though he transferred and everything. But when we talked about this before, like even during the transfer, when he went to Penn state, you didn't see him. Like he didn't, you know, he, he never got an opportunity and, which is really unfortunate because if he would have stayed at Baylor, I think he would have had an opportunity to really blow up, um, especially in that system they ran last year. Uh, but I think he's another guy you could possibly see come down in this league. Yeah, I, could, I think John Love is a great one. I think he's someone who has the, the talent um, to be successful in a league like the USFL. He's not he's probably not athletic enough to be an NFL player consistently, but he could – could definitely make it in the USFL. And then I also want to say the uh, the defensive players at Baylor's Pro Day that won't get an opportunity in the NFL or who probably won't have much time in the NFL, maybe guys like a Raleigh Tejada or a J. Ron McVay, since they're coming from Baylor, they have great coaching. Um, they know how to play football really well. So they could be they could be successful in the USFL. I think both of those would be really good fits. You know, just watching some of the defensive backs uh, – over sun over the course of the weekend, 
I think they could. I, I think that they're going to struggle to find NFL rosters, but you're, you bring up a really good point. I think they could go to that league. And then when you play, you're going to get coached, right? Like that's the thing. Despite the level of play, these are all NFL coaches and staffs that know how to develop players. So you're going to get the proper coaching. I think yeah. that th- those guys could really benefit from that and have an opportunity to, you know, maybe after a couple of years, you sharpen up some techniques and stuff, and then you you make a run at the NFL again. That's true. They at least have an opportunity to keep developing and play under good coaches, which you probably don't get if you're just training on your own. Um, there's guys like Kevin Sumlin in the league who have a lot of experience coaching in college. Um, Jeff Fisher is another coach who went to the Super Bowl in the NFL. So there, the opportunity is there to, to develop. Um, and then another guy who might – have an opportunity to do well in the in the USFL is Tristan Ebner, who also likely isn't athletic enough to pull it off in the NFL, but he's he's definitely talented. He has good hands, so he could be a good running back. I see in the thing with Eb though, I feel like he's talented enough on special teams where he could make an NFL roster. Just just by special That's teams. Fair. You know, and, and it's it's really unfortunate because and this will tie together with coming up in the next segment because if he would have played in the NFL even a decade ago, he would have been tremendous kick returner. You know, he I'm not saying yeah. he would have been Devin Hester, but he would have right. had an opportunity. And, you know, the the game has changed. It's gotten safer. And they're, essentially they're trying to eliminate the kicking game. That's my perspective of it. You know, it, it, seems, the, like what it seems like that's what they're trying to the do, end so game. step by step. Yeah, it's eventually going to come to that. You know, and that it, it's really that that puts guys like Eb in a position where you know it hurts them for making a roster. But I think he's talented enough where from a tackling ability and everything where he can make an NFL roster. But that's fair. Special teams is a great way to get. Yeah, yeah. and I think he can do it. So let's do this. Let's transition because Eb's a good example. I was thinking, did you see the the leak? I think it came out yesterday or or, or Saturday where Trey Lance has supposedly gotten information that he's going to be the starting quarterback in San Francisco? Yeah, I saw something about that. Okay, so that made me think Kyle Shanahan, the style of player he likes. Jimmy G's a good quarterback. Kyle Shanahan likes a versatile guy. He likes players like who? I don't know. RG3, for instance. You know, that's why they went and got him. And I, so it made me start thinking about the dynamic of players in the wrong era. You know, you see it. And I was watching a lot of basketball over the weekend, and you see these guys lighting it up. And they're while they're average shooters, supposedly by NBA modern NBA standards, if you drop them back, they could probably light it up. You know, in the '90s or early 2000s, just because the game is different and they're more talented because that's what they've modeled their craft on. They've worked on shooting a lot more than they used to. So they're out of the wrong era. Zion, I feel like, you know, obviously the the Pelicans are holding them out. There's a, a conflict there. Should he play? Shouldn't he play? They have differences on that. But I feel like Zion's one of those players who would be better suited for that early 2000s, that 90s basketball. So I wanted to talk about players who are in the wrong era and just kind of have some fun with this and dive into it. We're going to do that next on the Bears Illustrated podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the final segment of today's Bears Illustrated podcast. Garrett Pernay here with you. And all right, man, I really want to dive into this because you see it all the time in sports where, you know, you have the debate. Obviously, we could easily point to the Jordan and Kobe, uh, Jordan and LeBron, you know, who's better. And it's different eras. It's different styles. And I think that, you know, there's so many layers to that. You can't just say it's, 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 it's different shades of gray, right? It's not just black and white in a sense. Yeah. But. I'm sitting there over the weekend, and you know I'm watching NBA, and I used to really hate how the game changed with so many three-pointers and everybody's shooting threes. It still kind of gets on my nerves, but as I've watched it a little more, and you realize the, the effort, the work, how difficult it is to hit those shots, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it made me think of, like, could you take an average guy and drop him back? It, you know, they play, say, 90s NBA because of their skill set. They've worked on their shot a lot more. Could they essentially have been a Ray Allen? Or, you know, like if you took Reggie Miller and Ray Allen and put them in today's basketball, there's no telling where they would mark the records at, right? It, no, they would be. I think Ray Uh, Ray Allen would be incredible in this in this um, NBA. I have something to say about that. Oh, dude, yeah, he would kill it. There, there's there's no way. And so it made me think of football. I'm sitting there and I see that Trey Lance news come down, and my immediate thought was, "There's got to be smoke to this, right?" Like, we, there's been so much talk, even at last year. Are the 49ers going to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo? Did they waste a pick with Trey Lance? Is he ready? We don't know. But if you look at Kyle Shanahan, this is a guy who likes mobile quarterbacks, and the prime example is RG3. But then it started making me think about RG3 in today's NFL. Like if RG3 was drafted when Trey Lance was drafted, what he would do in the modern football world. Like, like, have you thought about that before? Well, he was on his way to doing some great things before he got hurt in the playoff game um, as a rookie. So he could definitely do some great things with his legs in the modern NFL. I, it still comes down to how well you can pass as a quarterback. You have to be able to pass well as a quarterback to succeed. But you see a guy like Lamar Jackson who's who had an MVP and who was very successful for a season maybe. I mean, he's pretty good now, but we'll see – how how consistently he can do that. Um, but RGT definitely would have an opportunity to be great. I was thinking, so I, I was trying to put in perspective of 
like a player from today. Like I, I wanted to, I wanted to get some some data to try to back up my theory. <laughs> and I was trying to think of a quarterback. Like who who should I go with? I didn't want to go Pat Mahomes. Like, bro, Pat's gonna yeah. light it up. You can't even make that comparison. It's two totally different players. But I, my my thought was Kyler Murray. You know, it's it's another kid from Texas, another multi-sport athlete. He's not the biggest guy. He's fast. He might not make the best throws, but he can chunk it. And he, so I wanted to – and he's in that system. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's in that, that wide-open system, he, but he's in the modern era. So I went back and I looked. Kyler's been in the year for three years, in the league for three years. Mm-hmm. He's thrown for 11,480 yards and seven tu- 70 touchdowns. While rushing for 17, uh, 1,786 yards and 20 touchdowns and throwing 34 interceptions in three years. Griffin's entire career, which was eight years, threw 43 touchdowns, 30 interceptions, rushed for 10 touchdowns, and he threw for 9,271 yards. So he threw for less in his eight years than Kyler did. It's starting two years. Wow. Okay. He ran for a hundred, like not even a hundred yards more in his entire career. The collar did in three years. Mm-hmm. Well, he was a backup for a couple years. Yeah, but I'm talking about prime. Yeah. Prime RG3. Dude, if you put him now, if Kyler's doing that with Cliff Kingsbury in three years, what would, what would he have done if he would have been drafted now instead of in 2012? With the way the defense is everything, off, he could have done a lot. I mean, the, I will say, though, Kyler Murray has a better arm than RG3. He does. Defense is actually respected a lot more, so that helps him. Um, but if, if RG3 just had learned how to slide and was able to stay healthy, then – he might have, he might have done what you see Kyler doing. Who knows? You know, it, as a Washington fan, I'll never forget this. This is when I knew Washington didn't care about RG three no more, and it. <laughs> they drew up a play against the Steelers, where they sent RG three down the sideline as a receiver, and Ike Taylor blew him up on the sideline. Oh wow! And I'm like, dude. You don't care about your franchise quarterback if you're doing that. No, they threw the ball to him. He's he's like a receiver getting <laughs> popped. Like I'm talking, I took the top off of him, man. <laughs> That's right there when I was like, they don't really respect the man. Like he should be respected. What year of his career was this? That was that was probably his second year, second or third year in Washington. Oh, so when he was still he was still in Washington, he still could have been the franchise quarterback. Yes, that yeah. was the thing, and I mean, I remember when he was being drafted and Washington come down, and you know Shanahan didn't want him. That's why he took Cousins, and that's why he him and Snyder had the the and it blew up. But you know, it, it's it was crazy. That was the moment though you could see. Like Shanahan getting back at like using him, he 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 hung him out to dry, dude. Oh yeah, no, what they did to RG three was awful. I mean, we we see Washington doing a lot, doing a lot of awful things, so are we really surprised anymore? But no, uh, no <laughs> not at all. 
wasn't wasn't great what they did to RG three. Who they should have they should have let him they should have benched him after his injury in the playoff game, not put him back he out. He had there no business. Then... He had no business going back on that field. So on the, on this topic, who are, who are some guys you thought of like that are so, in the so, wrong era? So since we already pointed out that defenses have to lay off in this era, I, I first of all say that a lot of defensive players would be a lot better in previous eras just because they'd be able to do more. Um, one that stands out to me particularly, and he's a Big 12 connection, is Akeem Tlaib. He, he's from from Kansas. Um, he's, he's one of the best corners, or was one of the best corners in the NFL when he was playing, but, but he, he wasn't consistent year to year, and I think part of that was because he's a physical corner, and with the de- with the rules the defensive players have to play with these days, they can't be as physical on receivers. And if he had that opportunity to play in the 90s or something, or even the early 2000s, when he could be a lot more physical with receivers um, and force them into situations that corners can't really force them into now, he would have been a lot more successful. He might have been a, I don't know, he could have been like a, a multiple-time All-Pro, maybe a potential Hall of Famer type guy. That's a good one. I, you know, it, when you were saying that, it really it triggered Jerry Rice, dude. You put Jerry Rice with these rules where you can't touch the man, it's over, yeah. dude. Or Randy Moss. Randy Moss, yeah. I mean, there was there's no way I, that, and that's just it's it's crazy to see the evolution of, of the sports, man. And and I think that's where we all get get things skewed when we talk about like this era is soft or this era doesn't do this. It it's that's not the case at all. It's you have to change your skills. You're still elite at what you do. You just exactly. in a different area from yeah. what maybe so and so is, you know, used to seeing. That doesn't mean that you're less of anything. No, you you tailor your skills to the area that you're playing. Yeah, absolutely. And but it, you know, it's, it's you could go on and on, and you could list multiple players, multiple, you know leagues or stuff i just when i saw that and i just had like a weird brainstorm and it came together man and i was like <laughs> we gotta talk about that but it's an I mean, interesting I, I wanna, topic i want to throw out a guy real quick who you, got? you were talking about you were talking you were talking about how the three-point evolution has occurred in basketball yeah imagine if imagine if pistol pete maravich was playing in today's nba bro that nobody could stop him that would be so fun, man! Just to watch him running around, his little hair is flopping around. There was no point in for man. most of his career, and he was shooting from like thirty-five feet. And imagine what he'd be doing now, dude! He would be like half court, just boop, every time, nothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's Steph Curry. He's a trip, dude. Man, what what do you got working on this week? What are you coming up with? Um, so I have a couple of videos up. I'm gonna put out the uh, the articles this week. And I don't know. Or I'll have to think about what else to put out. Uh, maybe something about spring football. Yeah, I'm actually I'm gonna head over to practice tomorrow, uh, and I'll I'll get us some videos and stuff and and take a look at that. Uh, also, like today, I thought it was interesting. So Baylor had uh, a, a few visitors come into practice last week. You know, and I believe they were in town on Thursday's practice, Wednesday or Thursday. But it was cool to see a couple of kids out there in Taylor Holmes and Dane Jones, little brothers of Gavin Holmes and Seth Jones on campus. 
and they're being recruited as well. So I was able to catch up with both of them. Uh, it was cool to see their perspectives, kind of see what you learned different. Like you're, they're so close to the program. Like what are you seeing different? So it's cool to see, you know, what are some of the, the new things about Baylor they were able to pick up? And also just like w- knowing the process, seeing hands-on what it takes to play at the collegiate level, having seen their brothers go through it, how that helped them in, in their training, their development, and, and how it showed that like, essentially paved the way for them to, to follow suit. Um, it, it was really cool. So I had t- I was able to, to put the article up with Taylor today. It's on bearsillustrated.com. Uh, go check it out. Dane I will have coming out tomorrow. I was also able to catch up with a couple of new recruits, uh, or new offers. You had Carl Williams IV. He's a 2023 corner out of Baton Rouge. Uh, obviously, the staff is really familiar with him since half these guys came from LSU, uh, and they are all know the state very well. Uh, so I was able to catch up with him. We'll have that coming out either tomorrow or Wednesday. And then they offered uh, a new offensive lineman out of Atlanta. Did you see this? Uh, Trevon Bell, uh, 2023 kid. Yeah. So I was able to catch up with him and, uh, we'll have an article coming out later this week as well, but that's some of the stuff we're working on. We'll obviously get together again. We'll have the podcast dropping. Uh, we'll do that as well, but Pernay, tell everybody where they can find you on social media. I'm at per Curry on Twitter. Um, go look at my tweets. See if you like them. We greatly appreciate you throwing me a follow if you like what you see. Get at my man. Go follow my man. I'm at underscore Garrett Ross. Uh, I really don't post about anything except sports and sometimes music. Because that's what I'm into. But give us a follow. Go check out BearsIllustrated.com. And thank you for listening to the Bears Illustrated podcast.